in uh, everyday discipleship for ordinary people, Stuart Briscoe writes, One of my young colleagues was officiating at the funeral of a war veteran. The dead man's military friends wished to have a part in the services at the funeral home, so they requested that the pastor lead them down to the casket, stand with them for a for a, a solemn moment of silence, and then lead them out through the side door. This the, the pastor proceeded to do. But unfortunately, the effect was somewhat marred when he picked the wrong door to exit. The result was they marched with military precision right into a broom closet in full view of the mourners. And they had to make a hasty and uh, embarrassing retreat. This story illustrates a cardinal rule or two. First, if you're going to lead, make sure you know where you're going. Rule number one. That makes sense. And rule number two, if you're going to follow, make sure you are following someone who knows where they are going, who knows what they are doing. This morning we are continuing in our study through the letter of Titus. If you recall from last week, the Apostle Paul, with his young co-worker Titus, had traveled to the island of Crete to organize and to shepherd the churches already there. But there came a time when Paul had to depart for other ministries, leaving Titus to remain behind to continue the work they had started. It was a difficult and demanding work for Titus in Crete. And part of this work involved appointing leaders for the churches there. Leaders who were first and foremost foremost followers. Followers of Jesus Christ. To begin this morning, I want to read our focal passage in its entirety. I'll make a few general comments, and then we will dive into the details. Okay? So if you have your Bible, turn to Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1, and we will begin where we left off with verse 5. Titus 1, beginning with verse 5. Paul says, For this reason, he's speaking to Titus, For this reason I left you in Crete, that you would set in order what remains, and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. Namely, if any man is above reproach, the husband of one wife, having children who believe not accused of dissipation or rebellion. For the overseer must be above reproach as God's steward, not self-willed, 
not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, not fond of sordid gain, but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, just, devout, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching, so that he will be able both to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. In this passage, Paul instructs Titus to carry on with the work that had been left undone. To begin in verse 5, Paul tells Titus to set in order what remains, which suggests that Titus needed to straighten some things out in these churches. And I say that because the phrase set in order, you see that? Set in order in Greek is a medical term. It's a medical term applied to setting a broken bone or straightening out a crooked limb. According to Paul, Titus needed to straighten out some things that were not right in these churches. And one primary way of doing this was to appoint Godly elders. Titus was told to appoint elders in every city where there was a church. And just so you know, the title of elder, pastor, shepherd, and overseer, maybe even bishop, are used interchangeably in the New Testament. Titus was to recognize God's calling on certain Christian men as evidenced in their lives and then to appoint them as spiritual leaders in the church. Normally, this was a task that was done by the Apostle Paul, but he's gone. So Titus is to continue this task as Paul's representative. Paul called for elders. Elders. And if you notice, that word elders is plural. It's plural. And that's important for us at Amboy Baptist. As our church grows, the body of spiritual leadership must grow with it. As the responsibility grows heavier, more shoulders are needed to bear it. And if not, the man who tries to do it all will crack under the pressure. And one of two things might happen. Either he will burn out because of stress, or he will begin to believe he is something he is not. And become a blind and arrogant dictator. Church leadership is not meant to be a one-man show. Okay? And in the future, it is my hope to add the role of elders to this church body to assist me in spiritual leadership. Just a heads up. Now, as you you casually skim over these qualifications, 
you will notice that Paul says nothing about charisma, intelligence, education, influence, talents, skills, good looks, etc., etc., etc. This list is a list of character qualities. It's a list of lifestyle qualities. And there is something else I want to point out. And for all the men, this is very important, all the men, at first glance, this passage appears to be a list of character qualities exclusively for an elder or a pastor. These qualities appear to be solely for a person like me who serves in a spiritual leadership role in the church. But if you were to explore other Bible passages, you would come to realize that these qualities are actually marks of maturity. Marks of maturity for every single man who is a follower of Jesus Christ. Every single one. Every single one. And from these men who are well on their way towards Christian maturity, exhibiting these qualities, from these men, from these men, they may be appointed by Titus as elders of the church. These are marks of maturity for every single Christian man before consideration to the role of elder, to pastor. So men, I hope you pay attention to what Paul has to say. And you see the man God really wants you to become. I hope you see that. And for the women, I hope you encourage the men in your lives towards Christian maturity. For it will benefit you as well. So picking up with verse 6, Paul tells us what the character of these men, these potential spiritual leaders in the church should look like. And he begins with this general overarching quality that is the result of living out the other qualities. Paul says an elder is to be above reproach. Above reproach. The Greek word for above reproach or or blameless, depending on your your Bible translation, is anikletos. Anikletos. And thank God it does not mean perfection. Otherwise, I am in trouble and out of a job. Simply put, it means without indictment without accusation. Or said in another way, there should be no legitimate grounds for charges to stick to an elder, to a pastor. That's the Greek. If you recall from last week, the island of Crete 
was filled with a rough and wild bunch of men. And Paul was concerned about the witness of a church whose leader had skeletons in his closet. For Paul, those in spiritual leadership should have nothing in their past and nothing in their present that might look badly upon a church. So simply put, to be above reproach describes a man of good character, a man with a good reputation, a man who is well spoken of. Then Paul moves to a man's home life. And this is where the rubber really meets the road. For what happens in the home reveals a lot about a man. And if he can't get his home right, he's not right for spiritual leadership in the church. In 1978, Reinhold Messner, was the first man to scale Mount Everest without supplemental oxygen. However, written in a July 1995 article in the Buffalo News, it was reported that Messner was recovering in the hospital after falling off a wall at his home after locking himself out of his house. Here's a guy who conquered the highest mountain in the world and yet falls at home. In my days, I have seen my share of men who behaved like devils in the home and saints at church. In the home, they are unloving and angry and overbearing tyrants. And yet they walk into church as if they are God's guy. A man who is above reproach cannot live one way at church and another way at home. In his home life, Paul says the prospective elder should be the husband of one wife. What he says on the board. In that culture, under Roman rule, affluent men may have had several women in their lives at one time. They could have a wife. They could have a female slave who was treated as property. And then they could go to the pagan temples where prostitutes were available to them. Although completely foreign and disgusting to us, That was an acceptable practice in that culture, even tolerated by women. But for the prospective elder, you can't be a womanizer. You get one woman, and that's your wife. And to be clear, Paul is not saying an elder must be married. He's not saying that. It's just being addressed to men who might be married. And what he is saying to them is this. To be the husband of one wife is to be a one-woman man. 
A one-woman man. That's the Greek. Meaning, a man is to be devoted to the woman who is his wife. His relationship is exclusive. His love, his affection, his heart, and I will add, his eyes, must be only given to one woman. Now with that said, I know it's very possible for a man to be married to a woman and yet not be a one-woman man. Because his eyes wander and he has desires for another. Jesus spoke about this very thing when he said, Everyone who looks on a woman to lust for her has committed adultery with her already in his heart. Men, we live in a culture. We live in a culture where we are bombarded with sensual stuff. You know this. Bombarded with sensual stuff. It's all around us. But if we are going to be the mature men that God desires us to be, there are some things that are absolutely off limits to us. Period. End of story. We must avoid those situations that we already know will expose us to temptation. I've been married over 40 years to the same woman. Got to add that. After about five years into our marriage, I stopped going to beaches, sunny, sandy beaches. You won't catch me there. Too many temptations for my eyes to wander. I'll go to an Oregon beach that's cold or a Washington beach that's cold and we will, we will look for agates, right? But you won't catch me on a beach in Florida or Mexico or the Bahamas. You won't catch me there. I can't be, I shouldn't be there. My family can go, but I won't. Got to be careful. We must avoid those, those situations that we all, we already know. We already know that will expose us to temptation. And dude, the internet is not your friend. It is not your friend. Guard yourselves. Your pastor has to do that. Discipline yourselves. Be accountable to another Christian man if necessary. Or maybe even get some help. It will eat you alive. So as you can see, being the husband of one wife has more to do with moral purity than it does with marital status. How a man conducts himself with his wife, how faithful he is in his marriage, says a lot about how he will bear the responsibilities of spiritual leadership in the church. So husbands, love your wives just as Christ loves you. Now Paul continues in the home, if you notice. For the home is the proving ground for spiritual leadership. 
It's the boot camp. It's the proving ground. And he says to Titus that the prospective elder, if he has children, is to have children who believe. Or in other translations, children who are faithful. I wrestled with this one a bit. Because it seems it puts the responsibility for a child's conversion on the elder. And quite frankly, that is beyond the control, for salvation is an act of God. Yes, the elders should model godly behavior, showing their kids what it looks like to walk with God. And yes, they should instruct and and train His children. And yes, they should share and pray. But unfortunately, that does not guarantee the salvation of a child. Maybe this speaks more about the relationship between the father and his children, which creates an atmosphere for faith. Maybe that's what it is. Continuing with the children, Paul says they should not be accused of dissipation or rebellion. Excuse me, Words that describe living a wild, riotous, and unruly life. Wild, riotous, and unruly life. I wrestle with this one as well. And let me say, I don't believe Paul is referring to the normal and natural struggles of of child development, which is often reflected in struggles and rebellion with their parents and even with authority. I don't think Paul is talking about that. Because of the wild and riotous and unruly living that Paul is describing, in that context, I think we are talking about older children. Possibly adult children. Who are living under the roof of a prospective elder. If you recall in those days, Households were routinely extended and expanded where grown children and their spouses would build an addition to their father's house and move in. So Paul is saying whatever the the home dynamics looks like, the prospective elder must first establish leadership in the home before he can have any leadership credibility in the church. That's what he's saying. In many respects, the home is the hardest place to be above reproach. It seems easier to walk blameless among strangers than in one's own house. But if the home life is not in order, and I'm not talking about perfection here. There are no perfect homes. There are no perfect families. Then Paul would say a man's responsibility should not be expanded to include the family of God. What Paul say. So we started with the home life. And now we are moving to the public life. And again, I want to remind you that these are marks of maturity for every single man who is a follower of Jesus Christ. Beginning with verse 7, Paul tells Titus, For the overseer must be above reproach as God's steward not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, not fond of sordid game, but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, just, devout, self 
control. This is a passage filled with a bunch of don'ts and do's. Paul says that the prospective elder or overseer, in his case, refers to who refers to one who watches over the flock, once again must be above reproach. This time from a public perspective. A man of good character. A man with a good reputation. A man who is well spoken of. Paul tells Titus, the elder must be God's steward. Meaning this man understands he does not own anything. He does not own anything. Instead, he faithfully manages all that his master puts in his hands. This man knows that all he has comes from God and must be used for God's purposes and plans. His time, possessions, ambitions, and talents are all loaned to him by the Lord. And he must be faithful to use them to honor God. Paul says the elder must not be self-willed. Describing a man who is self-centered. A man focused on his rights. His feelings. His interests. A man who is so preoccupied and pleased with himself, he cares to please no one else. This guy cannot admit that he is wrong, refuses to listen to others, insists on having his own way, and he should not be an elder. To piggyback on this, because it seems related to being self-willed, Paul says the prospective elder should not be quick-tempered. Everybody gets angry. God created that emotion in us. And there are times when we should absolutely be angry. But the man described here is one who has a short fuse. You know what I mean? They have a short fuse. They regularly fly off the handle. It's when they lose control. And their anger either hurts because what they say hurts someone, or what they do hurts someone. I am not a counselor, but I suspect there are many reasons why people are hot-headed. I could begin with our fallen sinful nature. That would be a good general place to start. I also know from my years in law enforcement that angry people nurture angry people. So parents, that's something to think about when it comes to your kids. I've also met those who seem to have this constant simmering anger like bitterness, similar to bitterness. And for them, it only takes a tiny spark to light them on fire. It doesn't take much. And then I have read this kind of hot-headed anger is typically rooted in pride. Rooted in pride, where a person's temper flares 
when they don't get their way or when they don't have control. Honestly, I am not sure of the reason. But whatever the reason may be, Paul explains that a man who cannot govern his anger cannot govern a church. Paul continues and says a man should not be addicted to wine. And that would apply, in my opinion, to any alcoholic beverage or controlled substance. Now let me say that there are situations where abstinence is absolutely called for. Absolutely called for. However, in the context given to us here, abstinence is not the idea presented by Paul. Rather, it's a question of overindulgence. Meaning one should know their limits and never allow these kinds of substances to dull their senses to lower their inhibitions, or to cloud their judgment. And if one occasionally chooses to drink, he must be careful and keep in mind that he is an example at home and in the church. Now, if I called you pugnacious, Who thinks I'm using a really big word to call you a small, little, ugly dog with a flat face? Well, that's not it. That word describes a person who is itching for a fight. It describes a person who is itching for a fight, either physically or verbally. Remember, Titus is in Crete. It's a tough place. There are some who are quarrelsome. And they are combative. Just pick a topic. And according to Paul, surprise, surprise, They don't make good elders. We're also told that elders are not to be fond of sordid gain. And what in the world does that mean? The priorities of a spiritual leader are not to be centered on the accumulation of wealth, the love of money, which pulls them away from the love of God and the love of others. In their financial dealings, whether personal or business, the elder cannot be one who uses unethical and dishonest tactics to make their money. Or he will barter away his faith for worldly gain. Then we come to the dues. Some positive character traits in verse 8. An elder must be hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, just, devout, self-controlled. Now for the sake of time, I'm going to go through these a little faster, okay? Paul begins with the word hospitable. A word that literally means loving of strangers. That's what it means. Loving of strangers, which is a quality every Christian should strive for. Men and women. But I think more importantly, especially in these days and times, it also means loving those who are different from you. That's a little more challenging, isn't it? Loving those who are different from you. The elder is also to be loving what is good. 
which describes a man with a good heart who is attracted to things that are good and surrounds himself with these things. He must be sensible, which speaks of being sober-minded, reasonable, having sound judgment. It describes a man who does not get easily distracted by the foolishness of this world. The word just often refers to righteous. But in this context, it probably refers to a man who is fair. A man who is fair in his dealings with others. Paul mentions devout. A word that paints the picture of a person who walks with God. This person is not perfect by any stretch of the means, but he takes God seriously. He takes God seriously and wants to live right before Him. And lastly, in verse 8, we come to self-controlled. Self-controlled is another word for disciplined. An elder must be disciplined must discipline his time so that he gets his work and his studies done. He must discipline his appetites, especially when loving church folk are trying to push food in his face during fellowship. He must keep his emotions in check so his emotions don't dictate his responses. He needs to be quick to listen and slow to speak, which requires a lot of discipline. And he must moment by moment, step by step, day by day, yield himself to the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit who equips and guides him. The man described in verse 8 is not like the man in verse 7. We started with the home life. We move to the public life. And now last but not least, we come to church life. Verse 9. Paul says the elder should be holding fast the faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching so that he will be able both to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. Holding fast the faithful word refers to men who base their lives and their ministry on sound biblical doctrine. Doctrine that has been taught by a trustworthy authority and source. Those who lead in the church must embrace the true teachings which come through Jesus Christ and His apostles, instead of flirting with new doctrines or trying to reinvent or trying to reimagine Jesus to suit themselves or to please the masses. The elder must be unwavering in his commitment to the truth found in God's Word. And Paul provides two reasons for this. The first reason is to strengthen and encourage the church. And the second reason is to refute those who contradict the truth or attempt to spread false doctrine within the church. Bob, you're a pastor, so I know you don't understand the temptation I'm going through. We pay you to be good. There are many misconceptions when it comes to elders the pastors. Yes, I am in a distinct role in the church with great responsibility to God. 
but I am a normal guy. I experience the same temptations like everyone else, and then some because of my role in this church. I have struggles just like you. Just like you. I try to sleep at night, but generally toss and turn all night. I brush my teeth. I pay my bills. I have to work through the various relationships in my life. Sometimes it seems like a minefield of relationships. I bring all this up because I am like you. And these character qualities given by Paul to Titus are not only intended for me. But as I said earlier, they are intended for every single man like me, like you, who seek to follow Jesus Christ. They are marks of maturity. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this this time together in your word. A convicting word, at least for me. I know I'm not perfect. I have a lot of work ahead of me. And Lord, I pray that you would help me to keep my, my eyes and my heart focused on you. Help me to abide in you, Lord God. Help me to live for you. Help me to be your man. Have your way in me. Have your way in the rest of the men who are here. May you be honored and glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. I hope I'm speaking to the men. The gals had your chance yesterday. (laughs) I'm speaking to the men. I hope I didn't overwhelm you. This was a lot to take in. I hope I didn't heap guilt on you. But in many respects, this list is a mirror. It's a mirror we have to look into. And sometimes I don't like what I see when I look into that mirror. I'm just like you. You're just like me. I'm so thankful. This is for all of us. We are a work in progress, are we not? All of us are. We are works in progress. God is not done with us. He's doing a work. I thank Him for His grace and His loving kindness, His mercy. Oh, His great patience. Can't even describe that. I'm so glad he's patient. Here's something else I want to say. God doesn't see me the way I see me. God doesn't see me the way I see me. 
in spite of me, he loves me. And you. God doesn't see you the way you see you. He loves us too much. And he loves us so much that he doesn't, he doesn't want to leave us right where we are. We are works in progress. These are character qualities for men to aspire to. None of us are perfect. But these are qualities to aspire to. And maybe you're here this morning. There's something there that just went, oof, right to your heart. Just right to your heart. I know it did mine. Maybe the Lord's speaking to you. This is an area you need to grow. An area you need to change. An area you need to focus on. That's why He gives them to us. Maybe you're here this morning and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I would love to introduce you to Him. He loves you more than you'd ever know. Maybe you're looking for a church home. Maybe those qualities have got you so down and depressed you need to pray about it. I'd love to pray with you. We're a work in progress. However the Lord leads you this morning, I just ask you to respond in obedience. Larry.